Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Sports Medicine on Tap. I'm Jason Kopech coming to you from Neck of the Woods Brewing Company in Pittman, New Jersey, located inside the beautiful Total Curve Complex, South Jersey sports and entertainment destination. Dr. Frey, we took a week off. Happy to be back. We've got a great crowd down here tonight, don't we? It's uh, it, Yeah, it's pretty full. It's nice. Apparently, we take a week or two off, and suddenly Tuesdays are the hit night down here. That's what happens when we go away. <laughs> How was your vacation? Fantastic. Um, honestly, we went out to a place called Deep Creek, Maryland, um, way the heck out uh, in Maryland, western Maryland, almost to West Virginia. And um, I had been there once before. My wife's from Pittsburgh, and it's a pretty good vacation spot for people from Pittsburgh and actually people from D.C. It's actually not that far from D.C. to drive up. And But out here where we are close to Philly, no one really knows about it. It's like a four, four and a half hour drive. But um, I call it kind of like a poor man's Tahoe. It's a um, big, huge lake. We got a we got a house right on the lake. We rented a boat for a couple of days. Kids were tubing. We rented a water trampoline. There was mountain biking. There was hiking. It was it was honestly one of the best vacations I've had in a very long time. So if people don't know about it. Deep Creek, Maryland's a great place to go. Good to know. Good to know. Obviously, the uh, the big headlines in the sports world, you know, since we were last on, was the Simone Biles and her, uh, you know, struggles in the Olympics, uh, you know, with some mental health issues. Um, so when we start talking about mental health, obviously, this is a topic that you and I need to bring in some, uh, you know, very ex- expertise help. Who do you, who do you have with us tonight? So I uh, I was lucky enough to be able to recruit. Uh, a friend of mine, Jenna Reed, Dr. Jenna Reed. Uh, Jenna, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a psychiatrist, trained med school at Columbia, residency at UCLA, and then worked at Penn for a number of years. I'm still in their clinical faculty teaching the residents, but I have a private practice. I work with adults primarily in anxiety and insomnia. And then I also have a coaching practice. So I actually coach people on mindset and self-confidence and ways to kind of go from where they're at to really flourishing and really successful, whether it's in work or other performances. Um, So that's sort of what I've been up to. Now, more importantly, Jenna, what beer did you wind up choosing? You can't be with (laughs) us today. Um, You were lucky enough to have a a reunion out in Madison, Wisconsin. So you're not here with us and I don't get to see, but you know, one of the requisites is you got to be knocking down a beer while we're talking. What did you choose? I chose a bathtub beer from a, a new brewery on Madison called Youngblood Brewery. And I'll tell you, it's pretty tasty. I wish I could share it with you guys in person, but that'll be next time, I guess. Fantastic. All right. Dr. Frey, you went with the Mosaic. Have you had that one here before? I haven't. I have. I've gone with it a few different times. It's a, it's a, it's a really good IPA. Um, it's one of my staples. So um, Mosaic is a hop, and, which I presume Frank named you know, the beer after this particular hop. And it actually grows really well in this area. It's a pretty hardy hop. Um, most hops are pretty hardy. And I'm not, I have no idea where Frank gets it, but I wonder, I wonder if it is locally sourced. Jenna, well, let's kick this off. Um, we, we all know the name Simone Biles, obviously, you know, the, you know, the most decorated uh, female Olympian from gymnastics. And I, I think the world was excited to see her in action. And, you know, unfortunately, last week, as we all know at this point, uh, she pulls out of the team competition, uh, you know, citing some mental health issues and, you know, something that that came out as the twisties, which hopefully we can get into a little bit later. But uh, J- Jenna, just start us off. You know, what were your first thoughts after hearing that? Yeah, you know, I think my first thought, honestly, was just sadness and just, you know, really feeling for Simone. I mean, obviously, you're spending so many years, and she's only 24, and she's probably been doing this since she could barely walk. 
Right. Um, and so I just felt, you know, just so heartbroken for her to, to have to step out and clearly recognize she must have been having some pretty significant issues to need to step away. So that's what I first felt, I think. She's got this, this incredible history of, of, you know, success here in, within the gymnastics world. So first, can you tell us a little bit about the Twisties and what, what your thought on uh, what they are? And, and any ideas as why this seemed to, ha to happen at this point in time? Yeah, so I mean, I think there's a short answer and a long answer to that. I mean, I think the short answer is no one really knows what's going on with things like the Twisties or the Yips or whatever right. happened to Giannis Antetokounmpo and his free throws this season. You know, I don't think there's any absolute understanding, but I think there are some good theories out there as to why that's happening. I think one that really makes a lot of sense that I thought I'd bring up was the sense that when you're learning a new skill, so when she's learning one of her ball jumps or you're learning to shoot a free throw, you're kind of learning it step by step, right? You're thinking about it a lot. You're thinking about the fundamentals. You're trying to incorporate that and learn how to perform. And then you get to a point where you kind of can enter into a flow state where you really have you know, all the motor, all the muscles are firing, the motor neurons are firing, and you can do it almost automatically. Right. And I think that's what you see in these elite athletes is they get to that point, but where they start having some trouble is if they start to let other things come on in there, worry about their performance, worry about how they're going to be assessed, some anxieties and self-consciousness. And rather than it being an automatic sort of flow state, it starts to be a different situation. They're kind of overthinking it, right? So if you overthink or you're fearful of performing poorly or you're fearful of missing that free throw or, you know, not hitting that vault landing, then that can really interfere with that automatic flow state. And I think that's one of the theories out there for what can happen with, you know, things like the twisties. And frankly, here she is with just mere inches between her landing this incredibly complex jump and her really having a catastrophic injury, right. you know, which is just just so frightening to consider. So I think the fact that she was aware and becoming maybe more aware of what those negative outcomes or what those those dangerous outcomes could be. I think that can get in your head, even when you're an elite athlete, and that can take you away from, like I said, that more automatic flow state where you're just in it. I think you bring up a, a really good point here. You know, you went down the, 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 the road of, of yips. It, it seems to be, you know, basically the same entity, just, you know, the way it's um, expressed in a different sport. I was a former wrestler, right? And uh, in, in wrestling, you, you're supposed to have a general proprioception of, you know, kind of where you are, in the world at all times like as you're kind of rolling around you should kind of know what's up and what's down and just have an idea of that and i think in gymnastics that's critical right you're you're talking about that they're on these vaults they're in the air they're they're spinning and there's there's they're flipping and uh you know their their sensoriums just turned upside down but yet they're able to maintain wherewithal of, of you know what's up and what's down and when they need to you know untuck and, and how to land and if they lose that wherewithal, then then you know catastrophe could ensue. They you know they come out of their spin and they they, they land on their head instead of on their feet. Mm -hmm. You know you, you could see it in gymnastics as well. You know I, I went to Wikipedia to, to actually to, to get a little bit of this um, of the definitions and they talked about they said uh, Tommy Armour, a former golfer, I guess originally coined the frame the phrase yips, um, in which he he ended up pulling out of tournament play because you know just like you're saying when he was golfing. I guess he couldn't stop thinking about what he's doing as opposed to just letting his, you know, letting it happen, muscle memory. And, and we've seen this in a number of different professional athletes along the way. 
We've seen it in, you know, Steve Blass was a former pitcher for the for the Pittsburgh Pirates, an all-star pitcher. And in 1973, he lost his ability to hit the strike zone. He ended up pitching, throwing like, you know, walking 84 uh, batters in, in, in like 88 innings or something or other. And then in 1974, he retired, right? He, he could never get it back. I remember watching... <laughs> and maybe my I'm a Mets fan so so maybe, maybe my <laughs> memory is, is 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 not accurate but I, I seem to remember watching Rick Ankiel pitch against the Mets and lose the ability to throw a strike and I saw him watch pitcher or walk player after player Rich Ankiel was a former pitcher for the Cardinals it's actually an amazing story I still think and he ends up eventually like he loses the ability to throw a strike winds up losing his job as a pitcher in the majors goes back to the minors actually changes positions, becomes an outfielder, becomes a very good hitting outfielder. Traditionally, pitchers can't hit very well. There's a couple in the majors right now that can, Otani. Um, but but in general, um, pitchers are not good hitters. And Keel makes the majors again, this time as a hitter. I think he was an all-star outfielder, but I don't actually remember that for sure. And we've seen that again. Chuck Knobloch, a second baseman. Steve Sachs, a second baseman. Their, their ability to consistently throw the ball to the first baseman after doing it a million times in their career. It's, it's, it's a very strange, strange happening. Um, like, like how someone who can be at the upper echelon of sports, the, one of the best in the world, and then all of a sudden lose the ability to do some of these very basic things. Um, my next question for you is how much does you know, the physiology of, of, of anxiety um, or performance anxiety play into these particular entities? Yeah, and I think that's a great question. I think that you know, when we're talking about anxiety in general, we're talking about it on a spectrum. So sort of you think about a bell curve, you want to have maybe a little bit of anxiety to actually promote performance. So the sort of classic story of Bill Russell, you know, played for the Celtics back in the 60s, and he would throw up, he'd vomit before every game or every game where he would really perform well to the point that his teammates thought this was a great omen when Bill's in there vomiting before a big game because they know he's going to really perform. And there was a time he had a slump and he wasn't vomiting before the game and he actually didn't play very well. So That is a great story. That. I had not heard that. <laughs> yeah, he needed that anxiety to kind of promote his performance. And I think to a degree, we all need a little bit of that anticipatory anxiety, that motivation. You know, anxiety is adaptive. It directs our attention. It focuses us in. It tells us what to look at. The trouble is when it gets to be too strong or when those sort of deeper areas of the brain are telling us this is really threatening, that just takes over the whole system. That just says, you know what, forget all the rest of what you're doing. I'm just going to keep you alive. So I'm not going to worry about performance detail. I'm going to worry about getting the heck out of here, you know, fight or flight, or how can I, how can I survive? And so that's where you're getting to the other end of the spectrum there. And you're getting into situations maybe where the anxiety about a particular task becomes that much more difficult, right? Like I was saying with the honest and free throws, like, you know, where people really clearly seem to be struggling and you can see how much anxiety is potentially playing a role. And I think changing positions or playing in a different role, you don't have those associations that you maybe have built as far as anxiety goes. So that can actually be helpful, right? We have to retrain the brain that standing on that free throw line is not a threatening situation. And that can be hard to do. It takes a lot of practice, takes a lot of repetition. And that's something that you don't really get in the Olympics, you know, to go back to Simone Biles. She doesn't get multiple tries here. This is kind of a one and done. And, you know, the risks and benefits here are pretty clear. So it's going to be hard to 
kind of reteach your brain that vault is not a threatening situation. Like getting the Christies up there, I'm just gonna get right back out there and be fine. Now there's that association between the vault and that disorientation that she experienced. And boy, it's hard to, to step out of that without some time and repetition, which she just didn't have, right? Jenna, I would love to know, um, you know, obviously you or I or Dr. Frey here can't even probably begin to imagine the level of stress that uh, she was under being an Olympian, being out there in Tokyo. But could you help us put that in perspective in terms of like, is there objectable, measurable amounts, meaning like, I mean, this is something she's prepared for all her life. Like, as you said earlier, since she's been walking, is it easy to say, is it possible to say that she's under more stress as an Olympian than Dr. Frey and I might be in our normal everyday job? Well, I don't know how stressful your jobs are, but I hope that she's under quite a bit more stress than you guys are. Well, I, I guess I hope so too. Yeah, like what I mean, like I mean, this is what she prepares for. Um, uh, right. You know, so like right. you, you would think that this wouldn't come up, and th this wasn't her first go around, right? Like she had yeah. best in the world, regarded, yeah, I mean, I, regarded I mean, as the best ever. I, I think I think her her bronze medal that she claimed earlier today now ties her for the record most decorated, but it, it doesn't mean that she was a flop before that. Um, so all of a sudden to come up out of nowhere that, you know, she's having these anxieties. I mean, is that, is it just that an Olympian's under that much uh, stress? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously I can't speak to what her internal experience is, but I think absolutely, you know, she's in her early 20s. She's coming back after a huge Olympic Games last time. And really, like you said, just being top in the world then we have the delay of the olympics by a year so she's continuing to train she's trying to push herself but trying to live with injuries as they come along and it sounds like you know dealing with some other issues with confidence and things like that and you know she's a kid and the the olympics frankly are once every four years once five in this situation and so it's kind of a one and done and i think you're coming in when you're up that high you know, there is some of that thought of, I don't want to fail, right? I'm trying not to fail. I'm trying to meet expectations. It's a lot different being an underdog coming in there and saying, you know, like some of these 15, 16 year old swimmers in the Olympics, which is mind blowing, but mind they're blowing. underdogs, they're stepping in, right? They're coming in saying, what do I have to lose? Well, she had a lot to lose. Right. And I think another theory that's out there, you know, not to get too deep into the brain, um, anatomy here, but that prefrontal cortex, that front part of your brain that tells you this is this is potentially dangerous. These are the potential outcomes that's developing across your late teens, early 20s. So it's not that developed in teenagers and teenagers out there experimenting and thinking nothing bad's going to happen to them and not worrying about the consequences. And as you're getting through your 20s, that starts to develop and become more robust. And so that can also lead to more self-awareness that, look, this is a potentially risky move. I mean, I heard someone equate the vault jump to diving into an, an empty swimming pool. You know, this is right. not without risk. And I think as she's aging and her brain's developing, we all naturally start to be a little bit more aware of what those consequences are for our behavior. I guess that's why we, we, we worry so much more about our kids and our kids worry about themselves. <laughs> yeah. right. Exactly. It's like, are you going to jump from that high? Like, that's making me anxious. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I get that for sure. 13 year old winning, winning the, you know, the, the, the first skateboarding competition. I don't even know how to how to term it correctly. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just crazy. They, they don't have that certain level of fear. How is it that she was able to, you know, kind of rebound so quickly? Um, and get that's back where to, I was going. Yeah. Uh, and, and kind of get back. Uh, and this was probably 
a lot of controversy, at least on social media, as to, you know, pulling out of the team events. But then, you know, she was able to bounce back early this morning and, and compete in the individual events. Um, is this something that you see frequently where it comes and goes like that? Well, I mean, I think it's it's a testament to her strength and character, right? That she went through something as difficult as this. And, you know, she's getting a lot of good things in social media, but she's also getting a lot of really negative comments. Right. And yet, We're going to go there next. It, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a sign to her character that she's saying, you know what, like, I'm going to get back out there and try this again, because I don't think I, any of us believe she's going there without fear. I don't think any of us think the anxiety's gone, she feels fine now, she's going to jump in there. Like, I think she's sort of that true example of courage, where you are afraid, where it is a frightening situation, and you're going to push through anyway. And so I think that's just a really, I mean, more of a testament to her than just about any other thing that she's done, that she was willing to get back up there again. You know, and I think she had a lot of support. I think that, you know, hopefully U.S. gymnastics have, have learned from a pretty difficult history um, and have stepped in right. to support her. And I think even just athletes around the world, you know, there's just getting more and more outward discussion of mental health treatment in athletics. I mean, behind the scenes, we know that all those athletes have mindset coaches and sleep coaches and psychologists in there trying to get help them reach their best performance. Right. But it's not always talked about. So... You know, I just think it's really a test of her, her you know, testament to her character that she got back up there and was able to get a bronze. I mean, she's a pretty phenomenal woman, frankly. And so I do, I want to play devil's advocate here. And I want to um, be clear that I'm, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate when, when, when I go down this road and ask this question. But I understand where, where some people may, may, you know, sort of gain these feelings. And you, and you talked about it, you, you, you touched on it. How is it being viewed in, in social media at times? But what what would you say to the person who is criticizing her, who has to say, you know, who takes it from the point of view that, you know, she went through the qualifier, whatever, the, and I actually don't know the technical term for the first round there, but the qualifier, and she wasn't performing up to Simone Biles' standard level of performance. She seemed to be struggling through it. So if she was being, you know, and she had been through multiple world championships and won, you know, the world title and uh, was performed so incredibly well at the Rio Olympics. And now all of a sudden she's being faced with a challenge. And, and you know, per quote, she said, you know, I had a difficult time napping today and, and whatnot. And, and, and those who would view it as, well, she, she was having an off day. She wasn't quite right. And, and as, a, as a result, you know, she chose or she folded as opposed to this being more of a, a mental health issue. And those who would, would argue that she let her country down uh, or, or didn't perform up to the way that we, we would expect and that, that this is not OK, that you should be able to perform under pressure and whatnot. What, what would your response to that uh, maybe off center criticism be? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, anyone as a human can have a situation like this happen. And I think that she is incredibly, incredibly well trained and knows her body probably far more than the rest of us do, frankly, because she's had to work it and had to recover from injuries and things like that. Right. And if she's saying, look, I don't feel safe getting out there. I think recognizing that and recognizing that it takes perspective and that's hard to have at her age and in that position, but perspective to say, this isn't the last thing I want to do, being able to walk, frankly, right? There are some great stories circulating. I mean, they're terribly tragic, but they right. are clearly illustrative of what can happen when an athlete is pushed, especially in gymnastics, For sure. beyond where they feel safe and where they feel like they're able to perform. And you've had some really catastrophic injuries as a result. So 
I guess I would say, look, these are humans. They're not machines, right? They're going to perform. Even machines can falter, right? I mean, right. Formula Race, Formula One racing, you're going to see that. So Our these, are, these are not machines. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's what I would say is like, look, these are humans. These are athletes. That's why it's so thrilling when they perform at such an utmost level at the perfect time and they get those Olympic golds. Right. But in the end, they're human and perspective here. If anything we've learned with this pandemic is perspective about what do we value and, you know, what is life about and what gives us meaning. And I think, you know, I'm hoping that that is going to help people to take this into some perspective and recognize that this human being, you know, felt some limitations there and wanted to continue to have a life that right. was, you know, meaningful. So th that's Think what about I how say. much she had to gain by... Uh, performing well at these particular Olympics, right? She's extraordinary, and there's there's no question about that. But you know, obviously, she doesn't she doesn't want to give up on some of that some of that extra stuff. Clearly, there there's something really really difficult going on here, and, and you know, I, I, you know, I, I agree with you, but I think it was important to ask that question from from the from an alternative perspective, a critical perspective. Um, yeah, and I think I think that's exactly the right answer. She's a human, and and this needs to be treated as such and, and humans you know it's sort of been a topic that keeps creeping into all of our shows right we we keep going back to drew robinson we keep we've, we've talked about uh naomi osaka it's michael phelps right like this is a fantastic thing that we're, we're actually putting this on the table and talking about this and considering it yeah actually i mean to what uh, dr frey was just talking about jenna um we, we seem to be hearing these stories a little bit more often than i, I think maybe we used to is that just in your opinion, is that just meaning that, you know, the society's a little bit more accepting of these types of issues? Were they hidden years ago and now they're just starting to surface a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I think generationally there is more acceptance, more openness to discuss mental health issues. Um, I think that certainly the pandemic has brought some of that to the fore in a way that was, was really sped up. But I do think that that's been a shift that's happened over time. And I certainly find in, you know, people I'm talking to about mental health issues. So, you know, on my podcast or some of the writing I'm doing, the, the reflections I get, people in the younger generations are more open mm -hmm. about some of these situations. So I think that's part of it. I think having some really brave, you know, athletes who are willing or maybe had to step up and say this is going on, like Naomi Osaka, if she can come forth and say, you know, this tagline, if it's okay to not be okay, mm -hmm and still continue to right. play, still continue to have strong fans, still continue to have sponsorships, I think that says, look, we can let our athletes, you know, be human and have some of these challenges. And okay, if I have those challenges, maybe that's okay, right? Like maybe I see myself in that person and therefore I might reach out and get some help. But, and I think the athletes have commented on that. Like part of this is going to be worth it, even though I'm getting just destroyed in the media, for example, or in social media, right. because I might be helping someone else not feel so alone with some of these experiences. Because they're just, they're just kids, like you know, anyone else running around, and they can have some of these issues. Jennifer, somebody like me, an athletic trainer, that's you know, sometimes you know, we, we see these athletes at their best and at their worst, and we're on the front lines, uh, you know, meaning you know, we're the, we're the first to attend to them when an injury happens. Is there you know any recommendations you can give? You know, what can we look out for with you know, athletes, people in general, the signs that, you know, perhaps, you know, getting some help from somebody like you is important. Yeah. I mean, I think that, it, you know, there is sort of in athletics, I mean, I, a couple of different interviews I've had on my podcast were athletes, two athletes that really said the same thing, which is that you learn early 
how to manage failure, how to deal with disappointment, how to keep going, how to have that kind of growth mindset, otherwise you're not gonna keep going. And I think athletes who might be really expressing just a lot of self-criticism, I feel like, you know, I am a failure, a lot of shame, right? Feeling guilty about something because I did something wrong. Feeling shame is I am something wrong. So I am a failure. I am a disappointment. You know, there's nothing good about me, right? Whereas someone level-headed who is an athlete, but also is a son or as a husband or a friend or what have you, can recognize the full spectrum of their experience rather than just saying, if I fail at this sport and I'm not the athlete I wanted to be, then I'm nothing. And I think people who are kind of all or nothing about that, I get concerned about certainly right. expressing feelings of, you know, hopelessness or a sense that I'm, I'm totally worthless, worthlessness, those kinds of things I would be more concerned about. I think you hit the nail on the head I, I, with that statement. I think that's a really powerful statement that kind of I've, I've done something wrong or I've done something terrible. Therefore, I, I am terrible. And then, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's a hard thing to, to separate those two things. I mean, we're, we're human. People make mistakes. Things happen. Um, you do your best and sometimes it doesn't work out exactly the way that you planned. doesn't mean that you're terrible. And it, it's hard sometimes to deal with that. There's, there's a, there is a lot of pressure there. This is probably not a fair question, but are there any coping mechanisms or any any different ways to think about that particular issue where somebody has struggled and they're 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 right they, they've done something wrong or they didn't fulfill what they perceived as their potential they didn't do something right and now now they're struggling through it um, what what would be a good coping mechanism to help them work through that particular issue well I think a big thing and I think for athletes you know their expectations from others and from themselves is that they're just going to power through things no feelings I'm tough and it's actually they equate being tough with not feeling grief or sadness or disappointment or anger or fear, you know, and I think step one is just like, look, you're human. You're going to feel all those feelings. Like, I hate to say it, but even you're an athlete and you're an elite athlete, you're going to feel all those feelings. So right. let's just allow yourself to do that. Allow yourself to get through and process some of those feelings in the short term, regain some of that strength again emotionally. And then let's see what has meaning for you, right? Why, what is your why in pursuing this athletic event? Is it you love being part of a team? You love to perform? You love to feel really fit and powerful? Like, let's really reconnect with the pieces that bring you joy about it. Because I'm sorry, winning is not the whole picture. And if that is your whole picture, then every time you lose, there's this devastation, right? You just lose this sense of self. So really having a clear sense of what is the meaning here? like personal miles or for the team player like going to the olympics what is the meaning there right and even just a kid playing his local team why is he doing it and is it given him pleasure or is there are there ways that he's really contributing and just trying to round out the picture so it's not just did you get the w or the l and anything else doesn't matter right 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 jennifer for our listeners for athletes parents in general um how do you know how do we seek out the help of people like you or other medical professional mental health professionals yeah you know i mean i think in general for seeking out mental health care it's a great you know place to start with your primary care provider or even your school coach i mean they should have some of the counselors and people available at school i think the hardest part is just to reach out that first step right and just right. say look i as a parent i want i'm going to let my son or daughter talk to someone else and i'm not going to be in that room and I'm not gonna know all the details of what's being said. And that takes a lot, I think, of courage on the parent's part to say, you know what, I am gonna try and pull in a professional. I wanna fix this myself, but I recognize that I don't have all the tools. 
And so I'm going to pull in someone to talk. So I think that's a really big step to start with. But I think finding a provider, you know, your primary care doc, um, psychology today, you know, I think those can be some good options for finding a therapist. Doing things like coaching, you know, like my coaching practice, you know, people will come to my website or might find me on Facebook or things like that. So there are a lot of good options there. Um, and just looking to your local athletic you know, community, maybe some other parents who've had kids, you know, have had some struggles. It's just that first getting over that shame of saying, look, I'm struggling or my kid's really struggling and I'm looking for some help. And, you know, you got any numbers, you'd be shocked how many parents, kids, everyone has already been to see someone like me or worked with a coach um, and can give you some recommendations and some support and just validate that this happens. Their kid got better or their kid really got stronger or they felt better and can help them move forward. And Jenny, you have a podcast from what I'm aware of? I do, yeah. It's called The Reflective Doc. It's really fun. I interview doctors, therapists. I just interviewed a, um amazing field hockey coach, University of Richmond, named Jamie Montgomery, who was on the U.S. team and talked about mindset and motivation. Um, so I just bring people on, hear their stories, and then they share some of the ways that, you know, like I said, people get through some difficult times, right? How do they find some meaning, be able to move forward? So... Yeah, I'd love people to check it out, you know, give me their feedback on it. It's been a lot of fun to do. I've certainly learned a ton doing that and being on, you know, terrific podcasts like yours. Where can we find your podcast at? Yes, yeah, so you can go on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify. It's just called The Reflective Doc um, Podcast. You can go to my website, thereflectivedoc.com. I do some writing, contribute to Psychology Today, and they can find out more about the coaching. So it's all in there. Yeah. Well, Jenna, like Dr. Frey had said earlier, it seems to be the more and more episodes we do and the more injuries we discuss, there's always a, uh, you know, psychological aspect to just about everything. You know, hopefully we can maybe get you on another episode down the road again soon. I would love it. Absolutely. And this time I'm coming in person, man. I'm sitting there with a beer and we're going to have a conversation. <laughs> you know, Jenna, bad timing. We, we, you know, Dr. Frey told me you were away this weekend or this week, and but we just felt like we needed to strike where the iron was hot. And, you know, the Simone Biles topic was actually, you know, the top of the headline. So uh, we appreciate you hopping on a call. Well, you know, I'm sure your family wants you to get back to them. So thank you so much for coming on, especially taking a break while, you know, while you're away. Really appreciate it. Hey, I'm happy to be on. Now I'm going to go play some, you know, ladder ball or go kayaking or something. I don't know. They keep me busy, this family of mine. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I so appreciate I a, you guys taking the time. I have a beer. A that, I have a feeling that beer was just a starter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Have a great Absolutely. night. Absolutely. All, All right. right, you guys. Take care. Jenna, thanks so much. Absolutely. Okay. Bye-bye. So I actually have a uh, firsthand story of the yips. Really? Um, I decided, I was thinking about bringing it up while Jenna was on, but I didn't want her to uh, have to maybe try to analyze, you know, the whole thing and, you know, delve into it too much. Sort of solve the problem here on the air. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, not not with me, obviously, but, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I was working in professional baseball sure. early on in my career. Right. We talked but, about it with Greg for a little yeah. while. Yeah. 32, 33-year-old-ish pitcher that mm -hmm. we had on, on the team uh, had pitched in the big league. So he had been at the highest of highs at one point. Right. Warm, warm summer night in July. We were playing down in Texas, you know, something like game time temp at 7.05 was 90 degrees. And this guy gets to about the fifth inning, and I think it's like a 3-1 game in favor of us, uh -huh. you know. Um, he starts to labor a bit, and he, he, you know, walks somebody on a 3-1 count. So, you know, man on first, walks the next batter, man on first and, first and second. Oh, boy. Walks the next guy on four pitches. Yeah. Walks the next guy on four pitches, walks in and run. We go out, or not we, our pitching coach goes out. They pull him. 
Um, hey, hey, you know, the heat's getting to you, whatever. Don't think much of it. Next day, he's going out to just do his normal post-day post uh, throwing program sure. down, down the right field sideline. He is spiking balls left and right. Oh, spiking, God. right? <laughs> so our manager, who was, uh, oh, you man. know, 40 years in, uh, in Major League Baseball, right. um, been around everything, I guess saw right away, you know, what was he happening. He knew what was going he on. He knew right away. He, he grabs him. He said, like, let, let's go out to the let's go out to center field, right? He grabs his glove. He could barely walk even. He, this guy's in, like pushing 75. Right. Grabs his glove. Hey, let's, me and you just have a catch. First throw the guy makes, sails over the center field wall. We struggle with him for weeks. We find situations in a game to put him in. Right. I'm talking ninth inning down 12 nothing. Yeah. <laughs> There's no pressure here. Like, just go out there. Right. Doc, he was hitting the backstop. He, yeah. he had batters afraid to step up to the plate because it's like, this guy's going to no, drill me in the ear hole, right? Right, right, right? We're not really getting anywhere. Our manager, again, around Major League Baseball 40 years, takes him to the parking lot just outside the outfield wall, throwing laser beams dead on. Hits him right in the chest every time. Yeah. Feels good, doesn't it, son? It does. I, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what's going on. All right, let's go back into the ballpark. They take him down the left field line. Spike, air ball into the bleachers isn't that amazing something about being within the diamond right this guy couldn't figure it out and the, part of the reason i didn't want to bring up the jenna i'm gonna be honest with you he he didn't it, it wasn't a happy ending he just right. said you know what I know, I know what's happening i'm 33 i've been in the big leagues i'm gonna pack my bags and go home I, you know i i i laughed a little bit along the way because you, you tell the story you know with yep. with, with some humor yep. but isn't that amazing? I just, I mean, how, how does that happen? The last throw I remember him making was in the parking lot, and right. he was hitting our manager dead in the chest. Right. But something about being inside the ballpark, and and and, and, and I'm, it was an interesting because it, it, I felt like it unfolded in front of our eyes. It's like a, like a train wreck happening, yeah. you know, like or a car crash happening right. slowly in front of you, and you can't look away. Right. Um, but but like, it's mystifying. Yeah. It's it's inexplainable, mm -hmm. and and. We've seen it in history with multiple athletes. This is this is a real thing, right? This is not. These people have an awful lot to lose when when everything unravels. They don't want it to unravel. Yeah. Like the, the mind is powerful. Right. When it, when it's not working right, yeah. it, neither are you. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's 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 pretty it's it's pretty incredible. Yeah. I, I've never seen that scenario unfold just like that i haven't been up front and close you know i've seen it you know as a fan watching a professional right. athlete um, but i've never seen it unfold just like that i think it's also a testament to uh in general our, our country and our society in general the fact that you know when, when this has happened to simone biles i think the overwhelming response was not of, of disgrace and um, dehumanization, but of, of sympathy and understanding. And it's just pretty extraordinary. Like it's, a, it's a wonderful place to be. And there's cool. always those people that were, you know, being negative. And it was like, well, she pulled, she obviously didn't pull out of the individual stuff. She pulled out of the team stuff, and, right. you know, and, and then, you know, now we, you know, the story gets worse, right? We, we find out, you know, today that she had a death in the family, right. unrelated. It was after she had pulled out, but probably, yeah, um, yeah. You know, one of the articles I read was just how terrible of a trip to Tokyo it's been for her in right. a lot of ways. You know, it's been a long few weeks that she's been out there. And this is coming on the heels of this whole 
COVID, and I shouldn't say the heels because it seems like we're being thrust back into the thick of it, unfortunately, right? It's, it's on the heels of going through this whole like scenario where all world has been turned upside down. And, and Tokyo is one of the places that's taken it very, very seriously, yeah. right? You know, I don't think this is the exception. I, and I applaud Michael Phelps for some of the stuff that he's doing, you know, for being very, you know, upfront and outspoken uh, about this whole scenario and, and, and trying to help, you know, you know Anyone who's been affected by mental health, anyone who's been touched by it or had a family member touched by it knows just, just how severe and how impactful it can be. It's a great sign for society as a whole that it's becoming more accepted and that people are able to take care of themselves and not be forced into a worse situation. Right. Well, I think that's going to go ahead and wrap things up for tonight. What do you say? I think that's it. I'm going to finish up this last, the last of my mosaic and uh, call it an evening. Before we go ahead and close out our tab, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Reconstructive Orthopedics, with our eight locations and our focus to a new approach, covering all of your orthopedic needs, the Energy Lab, the region's premier sports performance destination, our good friends at Timber Real Productions, Joe Warner, welcome back, thanks for joining us again, our on-site editor, Kyle Miller, our, our editor back home, uh, Neck of the Woods Brewing Company, you guys got to stop down here, 614 Lambs Road, Pittman, New Jersey. Try out all their delicious beers and Total Turf Experience. Thanks a lot for listening. Have a great night. Dr. Frey, see you next week. See you next week.